I'm Amy Jo Martin. Welcome to the Why Not Now show. You know that thing you've been thinking about doing? Yeah, that one. Why not now? Have you ever actually taken the time to ask yourself, what's stopping me? Let's talk it through. This is your chance to give that idea the attention it deserves and take action. Each episode, I have a chat with a fascinating person from entrepreneurs to athletes, celebrities, my parents, rocket scientists, and all walks of life. We talk through a critical time when they've asked themselves, why not now? We dissect that day or even that moment, step by step. Hey everyone, Susie Welch is on the show today. She is a Today Show contributor and the founder of the Jack Welch Management Institute. She's a noted speaker and a New York Times bestselling author of three books. And Susie talks about how most of her why not now decisions have been made in tandem with her husband, Jack Welch. He was the chairman and CEO of General Electric. And the company's value rose 4,000% during his watch. Needless to say, Susie and Jack know a thing or two about business. Susie is also on the board of the Humane Society of the United States, and she's a mom to four millennials. She shares many gems in this conversation. Just a reminder that the Why Not Now scholarship deadline is May 20th. I'm taking one listener to Brazil with me to attend the Exosphere Academy. This is the chance for someone to make their dream come to reality. So that Why Not Now idea you've been thinking about doing... This is your chance. This is your ticket. Travel to Brazil and tuition to the Academy are covered for the scholarship recipient. And you can go to amyjomartin.com forward slash scholarship to learn more and to apply. It's a quick process. Why not throw your hat in the ring? And by the way, there are 42 beaches on the island. So we have that going for us in Brazil. And it's gorgeous. So there's a little incentive. And go apply before May 20th amyjomartin.com forward slash scholarship, and I hope to see your application soon. Most of you know that I'm a big Headspace fan, and if you're new to the show, just as some background, I started using the Headspace app about a year ago, and it's been the single best thing I've ever done for myself. Here's the thing, though. Sometimes meditation and mindfulness is not what we imagine. (laughs) Yes, there are days when I feel like I'm in a Zen situation, And other days, I've been known to hit the SOS button. There's literally an SOS button on the Headspace app. So there have been times where I've removed myself from certain situations and gone somewhere to push this button. One time, I even escaped my car. So this quick three-minute mind saver has kept me from falling down that rabbit hole in some way. Or even saying things I didn't mean, maybe texting or emailing something to someone that I didn't mean. It's like taking a breath of fresh air and it just allows me to reset. 
And as Jimmy Fallon, who uses the app, has even said, it's great. This British guy comes on, tells me it's going to be all right. In fact, the British guy, Andy, who's been on the podcast, comes on and says this when you hit the SOS button. Okay, so you've hit the SOS button. So there's a pretty good chance you're feeling pretty stressed right now. So to begin with, I'd just like you to find a place where you can sit down just for two or three minutes, completely undisturbed. So maybe you already meditate, maybe not, but you want to start. Regardless of the case, let's be real. Most of us don't have a Zen sanctuary with a fluffy pillow, mood lighting to retreat to when we're about to lose it. So now you can literally have an SOS button that you push. It's a three-minute pause thanks to Headspace. There hasn't been a time when I've hit that button and it hasn't made me feel better. Susie, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you on. And geez, let's hop right in. I can only imagine the amount of why not now moments that you you have to choose from. But what's your top one? One moment that you just remember, okay, I've got to make this decision and let's dive in, let's zoom in on that day, that time, that that hour and talk it through. Yeah. Look, you know, I am... Um you're right that there were a lot of ones um, to to choose from, but I am in a um, wonderful life situation where I almost make no decisions alone because I'm married to a um, to my work partner and my best friend um, in Jack. And so I would actually like to talk about a why not now that we did together. Um, uh, and it's it's probably an interesting, a different dynamic than your previous podcast interviews when it was two people making it. But I we make almost all our decisions together. And the decision was when it was in 2008 when we decided together um, in a sort of an emotional, uh, very emotional cauldron to, um, start the Jack Welch Management Institute, which was an online, it still is an online, um, MBA program. And it was really one of the most fraught, complicated, uh, close your eyes and jump off a cliff decisions either of us have ever made. And so that's why I, I chose it, but we've deconstructed it and reconstructed it a thousand times because of the way things turned out. And we both thought a lot about why that day, and it really was a day where we made the decision, but why we did it when we did it. And, um, it had a, a happy surprise ending, but, um, not without a huge amount of drama. And so that day, I'm sure that this was something you'd been considering, discussed at great length. And I like this angle and this this difference of of having two people involved in a why not now, not only your business partner, but your husband. So what was it about that day? What was that that dynamic like? So you're right that it was a long build up to it. And that um, what happened was we were running our own business and um, winning had come out and had been a, um, a wonderful success. And we had a fabulous, fun book tour. And then my own book, 10, 10, 10 had come out. And, you know, we were in a very happy sort of stable place and doing a whole bunch of fun and interesting things. And our column was still going in business week at that time. And um, these investors approached us, okay, and they kept on approaching us and approaching us, and they were from the for-profit education sphere, and so um, they smelled like uh, 10-day-old fish, and we just absolutely wanted nothing to do with them, and they kept coming back and coming back, and they had this proposal, which is that we had this, uh, mainly Jack, but we had together codified a gigantic body of work um, of, of sort of thinking about management and leadership and business. And um, we had communicated it in our books, but there was a place for it where it could be taught online. And instead of reaching 
900 people at a business school like at Sacred Heart where Jack had endowed the business school that you could reach you know tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people around the world with this, these ideas and what they kept on telling us um, was it's so easy we have the faculty we have this we have that and and they had this whole sort of story that all we had to do is sort of show up throw our content over the wall and they would take it from there and um I, I was sort of excited about it, and I, I thought I liked the idea of the reach. Okay, that was very exciting to me. But Jack, um, in his wisdom, just kept on saying, uh, "No good deal is ever easy. It, 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 nothing is as easy as they describe." And, um, and, in, and of course, we both had this huge reluctance around this brand new industry that had a lot of controversy around it, um, and a lot of. Um, a lot of people who, you know, and, and for good reason, had a lot of controversy around it. So they kept coming back probably, Amy, for like two, three years. And we kept on saying no and just kept on saying no. But we sort of developed a friendship with one of them, a guy who was a real pioneer in this field. And I I liked him and I, I trusted him. And I kept on saying to Jack, uh, there's something about this individual that um, – uh, that makes him different from the others. And Jack was no, 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 no. So we were really um, going back and forth, back and forth. And I was sort of the yes person and he was the no person. And then he came to see us, um, not giving up on us. And we went out for a long lunch with him. And in the middle of the lunch, this was the day before the decision, in the middle of the lunch, he looked over. And by this time, you know, really we had met with these folks many times. And he said, something's wrong with you today, Susie. And I said, yeah, something really is wrong with me. Our incredibly beloved Mastiff, um, it's just, it's got to, we, are, we have to put her down this afternoon. And I knew that we were going to do it that afternoon after the lunch. And it was a long decision. I mean, it was the point where the vet had said to me, if you do not put this dog out of her misery, I'm going to fire you as a client. I mean, I'd waited to the last moment. And I said, yeah, and I started to cry and Jack just holding back tears. This is like the worst, just still is the like worst day among the worst days of our life. And he s- grabbed our hands and he said, let us pray right now for you and for the dog. And the whole conversation about the school stopped and we just bowed our heads and we talked about, he talked about the love for the dog. And I mean, it was just sort of this weird personal moment and it was very heartfelt. And then Jack and I went home and we had that horrible afternoon. And that night, uh, we had this somber dinner and I remember Jack saying to me in the middle of it, you were right about that guy. He's okay. And the next day we made the decision to go with them. So it was a very um, scary decision. A lot of people, uh, a lot of Jack's good friends, a lot of my Harvard associates, I worked there for a long time and um, all were like, what are you kidding me? And we just sort of said, well, we really like and trust this guy. Anyway, um, to make a long story short, the school now is the largest online business school and just was named by the Princeton Review as one of the top uh, online business schools in the world and so forth and so on. It was a rough, rocky road, and there were many decisions after that. I mean, there was a point where it was so tough at the beginning, and the the takeoff was so difficult, like all entrepreneurial startups, that I begged Jack to get out of it. And he said to me, get over yourself. It takes two, three years for a business to start, Susie, just snap out of it. But that decision was made because we saw the humanity of the people who were hoping to to um, to make the deal with us. Wow. Wow. So I'm just, there are all these amazing nuggets that I'm hearing from you. And when we look at in the beginning with this opportunity, when they approached you several times, um, 
it was it was this it seemed like this red light, this yellow flag, no, no, no. And it ended up being such a green light for you in the end. And and it's I hear from so many listeners, they say, you know, I feel like I need to have a why not now moment and I don't know what it is. And <laughs> and I think maybe one of the takeaways from your story here, Susie, is that what may seem like a complete turnoff and an absolute not going that direction, it may either obviously lead to something in your case, or it may steer you into something else, but push you, kind of give you that momentum to be thinking beyond. And and I just love how that connection, that human connection at, at lunch over, you know, your love for animals and and he sensed this and your business intuition. Let's talk about that for just a moment because yeah. There was something right. there, clearly, um, and not only on a business side, but a, a per- it started with the personal side because you said early on you liked this guy, this one guy. Um, yeah. So and there were a lot of yeah. there were a lot of investors coming to us, and he was the lead one, and the others we were sort of cooler on. I will say this: when Jack and I started working together, uh, uh, we really wanted to practice what we preach, and so for our business, uh, which had a lot of parts to it, you know. Um, uh, we came up with a mission statement and a value statement. We actually sat down and did the work that we asked everyone to do. Mm-hmm. And so we basically said, what are our value? What is, what is the goal of our business and what are the values of our business? And we were really clear. We had them posted and we used to talk about them all the time. And they were things like that, whatever we decided to do, because we had, we were blessed. We had so many options in that Jack was technically retired, if you call what he is retired. Um, and I had been canned from the Harvard Business Review when I ran off with him. So I was technically <laughs> retired. Um, and we just had a, a lot of options and we uh, were, we had a lot of freedom because uh, we were not in a position where we had financial constraints. Uh, we had this mission statement and we had these um, values and they were things like we will, whatever we do, it has to be fun. It absolutely has to be fun. We the other was um, it. We have to learn something new that we didn't know. Um, it it has to have a larger social purpose. And we so we had these these were the main um, pillars of it. And the thing about this online school was that it met most of our criteria. Like we were going to learn a ton, and it did have a larger social purpose um, in that it was spreading. What you know this this. Uh, but school of management, this, these ideas about management that we really thought made business better and made people happier and gave people more fulfilled lives. And it, it was new. We wanted to do new things and so forth. And so it met all those things. But it, the, that um, what we were we just know or we believe um, in our bones that um, business is about truth and trust. And what we were afraid of is that it didn't have the truth and trust aspects. But it was after that that meal, it wasn't so much intuition that we were like, we were able to check off two more boxes um, that made the the decision um, one that we wanted to go forward with. And that was the truth and trust up. We just, we finally said, uh, we have enough trust and we believe this person has got enough truth in him that all the boxes are checked. Why not now? And so we did it. Love it. Love it. And switching gears just for a moment, how do you keep your mind healthy, Susie? Well, thank you for the uh, presumption that my mind is healthy. I think it is. I think it is. Um, uh, I've stalked you enough. At least your your social media presence shows that it's fairly healthy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I, you know, I uh, I am in a sort of a very permanent state of gratitude. I mean, I think I'm, I, you know, I'm 57, right? So I've gotten to this point in my life where I can, you know, you step back and you you could take stock and you and every single morning I think, oh my 
God, I am, I am just um, so blessed in every way. And I, so I keep my mind healthy just by, I mean, I think if you live in a state of, of thanksgiving and gratitude, um, uh, pretty much uh, that's, the, that's the medicine that if you take that, you're in pretty good, you're pretty good health. That's it's very interesting. I went to a Tony Robbins event and and he talks about mm-hmm. the fact that we we can't feel fear and or anger at the same time we feel gratitude. And and it's kind of an interesting formula and just strategy, <laughs> right? To to apply to why not now because so much of of the the challenge is the fear, the fear of jumping, the fear of changing so on and so forth. So that permanent state of gratitude uh, that you mentioned is is pretty pretty powerful. Uh, if you can imagine what that does, when you see people who have fear or confusion or have trouble making decisions, I've I've sort of noticed in my life is that it's when people do not have an organizing principle for their life. I mean, one thing I've said to my millennial children, my I have four kids, twenty seven, twenty six, twenty four, and um, uh, twenty two, and from I mean. I, those poor children and and that from when they were very young I talked to them about having an organizing principle you cannot improvise every day how you're going to feel about the world you know you have to have a worldview know what you know know what you believe and you know I I of course um uh suggested them that they have my organizing principle because it worked out quite well for me but I um but I I think that um, if you are a person who's all over the place and, you know, you're sort of trying to um, relitigate the world every day and sort of figure out where you stand, you're going to be in a place of fear and confusion and doubt. I mean, no, have an organizing principle and um, it will make and it takes some work to get one that you really believe in. I mean, you can't sort of make it up and pull it out of the, but you can look around at all the people you contact with and say, this is somebody who I really admire. What is their organizing principle? What, how did, what is their worldview? And you can build your own. I mean, I think that's the great work of your twenties is figuring out what your organizing principle is and what your belief set is. Um, and you can tweak it and you will tweak it and you can change it and you will change it, but get one on. It's your coat of armor. That's such a great way to position that. And, and the organizing principle, just the, the semantics there are, are so um, open and in, inclusive versus exclusive. And when you, were, when you were trying out your various organizing principles, or, well, first of all, did you, did you try on various kind of organizing principles, if you will, early on? Or have you always been pretty set in, in knowing your true kind of North Star? Uh, I definitely experimented with different ways to live and ways to be. Um, and uh, um, I'm always amazed when I bump into somebody who knew me when I was really young, like in high school or um, in college, and they sort of remember this much um, more sarcastic, uh, cynical, um, uh, dark, um, you know, snarky person. And I, and they, they, they expect that person. And I'm like, I am not that person anymore. I, when I got older, I got softer and I, um, uh, for all different, for many, many different reasons. And so, uh, I actually got an email from a, a friend from a long, long time ago, the other day who I've stayed in touch with. And she sent me something. She said, 
I know you love this because I'm sending it to all my bitchy friends. And I wrote back to her and I said, Mary Beth, I don't know how many times I have to tell you I'm not a bitch anymore. <laughs> um, and so I definitely did have a different persona. And I was I was very influenced by the um, really smart people around me and um, by my just the whole sort of family. You know, my family was funny and sharp and sarcastic and cynical. And then I let that go in my early 20s. And uh, and I made a decision um, to I made a decision to have a different way of life and a way of point of view. Very interesting. That's hugely valuable. Uh, and and when it comes to the future, Susie, and I, and I know you're you're contributing right now with the Today Show, CNBC. I'm assuming you're enjoying that. It sounds like you are. Any? <laughs> how is that going for you? It's so fun. I mean, on 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 the Today Show, I am. Um, uh, so fortunate to work with Kathy Lee and Hoda on, in the um, 10 o'clock hour on the East coast at least. And, um, and I cover careers and business for them. And, um, it is one of the most enjoyable places I've ever worked in my life. It is an incredibly, um, positive environment and filled with uh, people who want to support each other and make great TV. So that's really fun. And, um, I would have to say that, Jack tries to watch me on that show and he enjoys my segments and then he sort of keeps watching and the next segment is on sort of cooking something and and, he, and he's like, you know, uh, he's always surprised that I love the, the incredible frothiness or sort of, or lightheartedness of that hour. I love it. I love it. It is like my safe bubble place because the other stuff I do is really right up into my eyeballs and sort of what the, the, the you know, the world of business, which is not soft and frothy. And so I am on CNBC and I'm really, I'm loving that and I do that. And then I'm really, I have uh, nonprofit stuff. I'm on the board of the Humane Society yeah. of the United States and that takes a, a lot of time, the time that I love to give. So all sorts of good things. Awesome. I can't uh, agree with you enough and I echo your sentiment about about the Today Show, especially that hour. I enjoy it. And uh, just because I'm sure people, inquiring minds want to know, do they really drink the wine or is it just kind of sit yes. there? <laughs> I say this is the first question everyone asks and they do. I mean, it's there. <laughs> the thing about Kathy Lee and Hoda is they're as real as real gets. And so they, it, it would be beyond um, uh, comprehension for them to be faking that. So they are, um, <laughs> my, one of my favorite moments is they brought out one time this, uh, there's, I have so many favorite moments, but there was this one moment where they brought out this gigantic sort of peanut butter like cakey kind of thing. And they, they both had glasses of wine and Kathy Lee said, I want to put my face in it. And I, 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 it wasn't, it was, but we were off air and it was, I, it was just so, it was how that show is. Everybody is completely real and the wine is real. And you can't fake that dynamic either between the two. And thank you for clarifying so much. So <laughs> it's, it's fun to watch you uh, contribute. And it's, it's just, a, it's nice to have in the background. I work from home. And so I just love kind of having that. And so the future, do you have a why not now that you've been thinking about that maybe it's time to pursue and and address, take action. Anything that's rolling around in the back of your mind, it could be personal or professional. Yeah, I do have a why not now um, uh, that I uh, think about all the time. And my older daughter is uh, went to Hollywood after college. And um, I just briefly as an aside, because it's sort of a career note, is that she was a kid who grew up just addicted to TV. And Jack and I used to really worry about how much TV she watched and how fascinated by TV she was. And we really thought, oh, my God, can she just play a sport or can we get her interested in this? And it was really we thought a huge parenting trouble and um, for us. And uh, um, she used to really obsess on all the different 
people who were in the different shows and she would say things like such and such person should be an X show and so and so. And she was like sort of moving the people around and we were really alarmed. Okay. And I remember I visited her in college one time and a show was on and she said, you have to watch this with me. And I was like, I'm really not interested. And she sat in front of the TV, like on a pillow, like it was like a shrine. And she was like two inches away from the TV. And it suddenly dawned on me that TV, we were so wrong as parents. She was 20 years old at the time. I thought to myself, TV is not the problem. TV is the solution. And I picked up the phone right at the moment I called Jack and I said, we've been crazy. This kid needs to go to Hollywood and work in the TV business. And he was like, what were we thinking? So her show was over. And I said to her, Sophia, you need to go to Hollywood and be with people just like you. And she said, I mean, this was a great moment just as a parent, um, because I realized my failings. And she said to me, oh, mama, would you let me? She had been thinking it for so long and she had been so scared to say it to us because she thought we were going for business. And she said, oh, mama, would you let me? And I said, I'll I'll, I'll bring you with bells on, honey. And she graduated the next year um, and she had several job offers and she went into, she's working in casting now. She went directly into casting and she has been wonderfully successful in casting. So my why not now is that she and I have this, um, dream of starting a production company together and maybe uh, making a movie together and sort of trying to figure out what that's like. And I, I would love to go into business with her um, and and just sort of uh, find a great script and find a great story and, um, and, 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 and just make a leap and just, you know, have a company with her. We, one of the fun things that she and I do, she's 26, by the way, um, is we come up with names for our company and we fight oh. each other about what the name will be. And I think it should be this and it should be that. So uh, this is our why not now together. And at one moment, uh, there will be a moment where we, um, because we're sort of on the ledge, I, I, I predict that what will happen is Jack, having had it up to his eyebrows, will just push us off the ledge and say, just why not now and make us do it. Go do it. How interesting. So she was letting you arrive on your own to this idea of, yes, I need to go to Hollywood. And here you are. And and what? And this is also interesting, Susie, because both of your why not nows are kind of co-spirited and co you know, yes. contributed, which is really cool. Um, I don't think I've had that yet on the show. But so what? what's stopping you? What's next? Is it timing? Is it, I want to see this come together. I can't wait to see what <laughs> you produce. Yeah, I know, but I all these ideas for it. I, I, you know, what's, I, it's, um, I think that really what's stopping us is that I believe she needs more experience and, and I'm going to be relying heavily on her. And she's only been out in Hollywood five years now and she's done some amazing things for a kid her age and she's uh, been a very, uh, but she needs some more experience. And so I think that I, it's a little bit of a waiting to the moment where she turns to me and she says, I have enough self-confidence to do it, mom. Um, so there's that. There, there's huge logistical issues. I mean, a lot of the why not now is that, you know, and why people don't do things is just the sheer logistics and that, you know, I live on the East coast and I've got a family and a life and people depend on me out here and we'd have to figure that part of it out. But I, I think that the real reason is that she's really happy doing what she's doing. She's casting actually went from TV over to movies. And so she's, she's happy and she needs to finish her live that part of her dream. Good for her. That's awesome. And, and just to understand too, your thought process of, um, you could easily jump in, but it's just, you want her to have that experience and she, and she will be more valuable <laughs> to the business when she does. But also, um, I'm sure she's read read your book, of course, right? The Real Life MBA, because she's... <laughs> we always say the kids get the audio version of the book, you know, and <laughs> yeah. I, I, was, I was texting with my son this morning, and he's also out in California, and 
uh, I was giving him some sort of like just random um, career advice. And, and he's like, yep, yep, mom, yep, mom, yep, mom, you know, thanks, mom. And I could just sort of imagine him just, you know, like rolling his eyes as he was getting this. But that's why I say the kids get the audio version. I, I don't know if they've actually read the books. I don't think they need to. <laughs> they've probably heard it in some form or pieces over, the, over their lives, right? If they could string it together. Uh, they have the quotes down at least. Well, very yeah. interesting. And is there a certain, I just have to ask out of pure personal curiosity, a certain area of of story or script that you think you'd be seeking? Have you talked that through at all as far as what, what you would tackle? Uh, well, so a, a while back, I actually wrote a screenplay. So, um, and I, I, it was crazy. I just really wanted to do it. And I've been a writer my entire life. And I've been, I was, you know, I've been a cop reporter at the Miami Herald and I wrote, you know, I've written for business journals and magazines. And I've been, I've done every kind of writing. I wrote a novel. And I, I don't know. I think that I had for a long time been telling myself the one kind of writing I could not do is um, movie or TV writing. I, I have unbelievable respect for people who do that. I think good writing and um, on the screen is so different. And then um, I, I, I actually just one time thought, well, maybe I can do it. I have this idea. So I, I actually wrote one. I mean, I've never shown it. to My daughter has read it and, and um, the same daughter read it and she liked it. So there's that. And then but I do have other ideas. And, um, you know, as a, I, I was a journalist, I still am a journalist, but I was a newspaper reporter for a long time. So I tend to see stories in everything. And in fact, I just pitched a story to the today's show where I, uh, uh, I don't know if we'll do it, but I pitched a story about a woman who um, has an incredible, incredibly touching rags to riches story. She was a, an immigrant and she ended up becoming a very, very successful and an incredible story. And I actually thought to myself, this would be a good movie. So I, we're not sure on the content yet, but we have, uh, I see stories everywhere, probably like you do. And so I'm, I'm not worried about that part of finding a story. I see. I see. Well, I'm, I'm excited to follow along. And, um, and that's a big supporter here of that. And, so, and, and a side note to your, your writing and having researched um, quite a bit online. And part of that involves, of course, Twitter. Your grammar on Twitter is awesome and great. It's, <laughs> it's conversational, yet it's it's polished and I have, that's, that's my background is social media. And so I've seen a lot of different styles and I have to say when I do speaking and talk about personal branding, I'm going to bring up your, um, your style because it's, it's great. And I think it's hilarious that you even, um, correct your husband at times <laughs> I correct all the time. whenever I see tweeting I'm saying I say to him all the time I'm begging you let me edit it he said why do you have to edit everything and it, you know look I have been an editor my I mean I started editing you know uh, my high school newspaper when I was 14 years old and so I mean I've been editing for 40 something years and I it's a compulsion and so thank you for complimenting my grammar I thank you um, I look. I, Twitter's fun, and I'm sometimes horrified by the grammar on Twitter. But that's all part of its texture. So it sure is. It sure is. And I, I wrote a couple of pieces for uh, Harvard Business Review several years ago. And I'm a much more of a conversational writer. And the editors there, they just edited. I mean, it, it looked like a complete, <laughs> completely different piece when it went back and forth. But I did learn a lot. And I think it's just it's cool that we have accepted as society kind of people's voices and they're yes. you know so we're kind of easing up a little bit on that front but I'm sure half the stuff that I write um, you would cringe at yes I wrote a column yesterday where I actually put in the word yuck 
And I thought, look, it's my column and it's my voice. I used the word yuck all the time. I was talking about if you're going to volunteer, don't do it. Don't volunteer just to get your, you know, to get it on your resume and for your career. Volunteer because the world is a better place when you volunteer. And if you, you know, for any other reason, it's just mercenary and soulless. Yuck. And I I put it in. And I I think it's fine. I I think conversational writing is the best kind of writing. So (laughs) um, be careful when you let someone take that out. It's the only kind of, of writing that I know. So hopefully it, I'm good there. But to wrap us up, a couple of just rapid fire questions. This first one, having once again kind of scrolled through and, and I feel like I know what you've read over the last six months or so. And we we share a lot of the same books. But um, what are you reading right now? And also, what's your all-time favorite book? Oh, all right. Well, I'm still not done with Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, which I love. I'm really loving it. Um, and I'm dying to finish it. And I've got a few more pages. Um, and I just finished Hillbilly Elegy. I did too. Uh, <laughs> very, I talked to more people about that book because it was a very good book to read around the election and to understand about the different Americas that exist. So, uh, so Stu Dog is what I'm, I'm trying to finish. And then I really want to read Sue Faludi's um, In the Dark Room. That's that's my next um, – I happen to have gone to college with her, and I'm a huge fan of hers. But I think it's a fascinating personal story about her dad's journey, and I'm looking for – I love memoirs. Your all-time uh, favorite. Uh, my all-time favorite book um, is probably – this is really like asking me to choose my, uh, my favorite um, child. I mean I love um, – I'm, I'm, it's sort of between Peace Like a River and Don't Let's Go to the Dogs Tonight. Um, it, it, it would probably be a novel. So I, um, one of those probably. Awesome. Awesome. And what keeps you up at night? Uh, I'm a pretty good sleeper. Um, and a much too sort of, I have this thing where I say to Jack, I'm just resting my eyelids and then it's morning. I mean, what keeps me up at night is actually, um, not to sound like a goody two shoes, is actually sort of world stuff. Like I get, Sometimes I just get super distraught about how much um, how much partisanship has um, uh, become a part of our daily discourse and that there's no more middle ground. And maybe that's because I spend too much time on Twitter and where you really just sort of see the, the extremes tend to love Twitter. And so I am, you know, I, I, I worry, you know, that that sort of polite conversation where we can sort of say, well, let's just agree to disagree that that's just sort of come to an end. And I, so that, that's something that keeps me up. Um, I happen to be just a, a sort of a wildly enthusiastic person who's a vegan about, and I sometimes think, how can we help more people understand, um, uh, the consequences of their decisions around what they eat. And so sometimes I lay awake sort of thinking about that because it's, it's sort of an early social justice movement. And, and sometimes the mountain seems really, really high. Um, and in fact, I was thinking about the other day and I got up in the middle of the night and actually wrote somebody who's been a part of it for a really long time. I said, you know, how do you get yourself through these sort of internal conversations if the mountain's too high? So interesting. And it's also you know, right out of the gate when you said you're you're a great sleeper, a pretty good sleeper. Um, uh, my mind flashed to earlier when you said you live in a permanent state of gratitude. I'm sure that those two are fairly connected, being able to get some good sleep. <laughs> <laughs> they probably are. And in yeah. fact, right before I go to bed every night, I actually do have a practice every single night of praying. Um, and uh, in fact, Jack, if he wants to say something to me and he looks over and my eyes are closed, he'll, he'll say to me, are you done praying? So he knows that that's what I'm doing over there. And that's a that that's a really good way to start your night, I'll tell you. Awesome. And, and final question, what advice would you give to your younger self? And you can choose the age at which you, you would give that advice. Well, I mean, there's sort of huge advice that I would give myself because I, I used to be 
um, a gigantic worrier. I mean, I had, I was a big, big worrier in my twenties, worried just about everything as if I could actually control things. I mean, of course you learn in your twenties, how little you actually can control. And so I would have probably say, um, it's all going to work out. I mean, and, and, um, and just, uh, live a little bit and stop the worrying, stop the fretting. Um, it's, it's going to be okay. Um, there is actually sort of micro advice I'd give myself. For instance, I was a reporter at the Miami Herald, um, and it was a spectacular, um, experience for a young journalist and it was scary and fraught and, um, competitive. And I mean, everything about it was amazing. It was right during the, um, riots and the boat lift and Miami was on literally on fire. And I, after I was there for a few years, I left and I left because I had a bad boss and the boss just sort of wore me out. And, um, it was a really dumb, dumb decision. Now I ended up everything ended up working out. Okay. But I should have stayed there for a couple of more years. And what I really should have done is if you have a really bad boss and it's really getting you down, um, don't surrender. I mean, I should have directly spoken to the boss or gone, I, I could have pulled an end run. I mean, you really shouldn't most of the time, but the, the other option was leaving. And so, I mean, for me, when I look back at my career, that was a big career decision that I wish I had, um, which I have regretted for a long time. And look, it all worked out, as I said. So first worry less and also don't let a, a bad boss get you down. That's great. That's, those are valuable for sure. And uh, the, the worry answer kind of in some form comes up pretty often and it's sometimes easier said than done but I think that there's such a connection between why not now and that worry and that fear that um we can't really we can't emphasize that enough of I know I mean I'm so Mm -hmm. fascinated by stories of young women entrepreneurs now I mean men entrepreneurs too of course but who have guts and I look at them and I just think, wow, you know, they, you know, it's it, um, uh, for part, the Today Show. I interviewed those um, two fabulous young, young women who started the skim. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they were like, like they were sitting in their apartment and they were like, you know, they had all their savings put into this and there was like no safety net. And they just said, you know, uh, let's just go for it. I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen? And yeah, the worst thing that it failed. And so actually one of the wonderful changes um, from when I was first coming up in business and as sort of a, in my career was that failure is okay. And Jack and I, one time we did a book signing out at a, at a uh, convention of, um, uh, Asian entrepreneurs. So it was India and all different, all parts of, 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 of that part of the world. And when people came up to get their books signed, they would tell us how many companies they'd had that some, you know, I'm on my 14th company, you know, seven failed. I sold three, four are still going kind of, it was just, and they just said right out, this failed. And, and they were just balls out about it. It's part of my French. And I just loved it. I loved it. It's, it's so true. It's so true. And I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and sharing some of your wisdom. And I really hope that, um, you know, let's stay in touch and, and just, it's been fun following your journey. And once again, thank you for the the great, um, style on Twitter too. (laughs) Oh, Amy, you're great. Thank you. I I love watching you from afar. I, you're a great role model and, 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 and such a success. So thank you for having me on. One of my key takeaways from that conversation with Susie was when she was talking about organizing principles for our lives and how you just can't improvise every day about how you're going to feel about the world and you have to have a worldview. 
and know what you know, know what you believe. I just thought that was really important and timely with everything that's going on in our world and in the news. You can follow Susie on Twitter at Susie Welch, S-U-Z-Y-W-E-L-C-H, and on Instagram at Jack underscore and underscore Susie. So if you've been thinking about throwing your hat in the ring for the Why Not Now scholarship, please do. Please apply. It's two quick questions and you won't be sorry. Why not? (laughs) What do you have to lose? Go to amyjoemartin.com forward slash scholarship. Deadline is May 20th, which is coming up very soon. Hopefully I will see your application come through. I want to hear what your why not now is. Please share it with me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Amy Jo Martin. I'll send a signed copy of my New York Times bestselling book, Renegades Write the Rules, to the first 200 people who listen, rate, and leave an honest review of the podcast in iTunes. And you'll also get a free month subscription from our friends at Headspace. This is only available to Why Not Now listeners. Once you've left a rating and review on iTunes, just email your iTunes handle name and your mailing address to whynotnow at amyjomartin.com and we'll get your package in the mail to you. For detailed show notes, head to amyjomartin.com forward slash whynotnow. That's where you'll find links to things we discussed on the show, special offers, and how you can keep in touch with guests. Hat tip to my buddies Ash and Devin at Rock Salt Music for our tunes today. You just listened to the talented John Coggins in Let's Go and Let It Ride. And a jump high five to my talented husband, Richard Gruer, for producing the show and being patient with me. See you next time. Until then, why not now?